Hello and welcome to the I Create Daily Podcast, conversations for kindling creativity for anyone in pursuit of the inspired life. I'm your host, Leora Alderson. Hello and welcome to the I Create Daily Podcast, conversations for kindling creativity for anyone in pursuit of the creative life. I'm Leora, and our guest today is Dr. Benjamin Hardy, an organizational psychologist and best-selling author of Willpower Doesn't Work. Benjamin's blogs have been read by over 100 million people and are featured on Forbes, Fortune, CNBC, Cheddar, BigThink, and many others. Benjamin is a regular contributor to Inc. and Psychology Today, and for three years running, he was the number one writer in the world on Medium.com. And you will want to join his over 400,000 email subscribers because his articles are profoundly insightful. In fact, I see Benjamin as a modern-day Stoic philosopher. Benjamin, <laughs> Benjamin lives in Orlando, Florida with his family. And speaking of family, Benjamin and his wife, Lauren, adopted three children in February 2018 after years of fighting the foster system in order, the foster care system in order to be able to. Then one month later, guess what happened? Yep, Lauren became pregnant with twins who were born in December of 2018. So within one year, they had five children. I'm with a six on the way, I hear. Um, <laughs> I'm delighted to get to speak to one of my online virtual heroes and mentors, and in particular to talk about his epic new book, as well as book launch tips for you authors and creators. Our audience will understand my enthusiasm for Benjamin's new book the moment you hear the title, because I Create Daily is huge on this concept. The title of Dr. Benjamin Hardy's new book is Personality Isn't Permanent. Break free from self-limiting beliefs and rewrite your story. Welcome, Dr. Benjamin Hardy. I am very excited to be with you and your audience. I love talking creativity and uh, just really excited for where this goes. So thank you for letting me be on your show. It's a huge pleasure. You're welcome. And so glad to have you and meet you face to face. Um, and we were talking before we started recording. Uh, we are, as of this recording, in the middle of the COVID-19 um, stay-at-home situation. Um, and there are things that will come up in this interview that will help people with that concept in particular. Uh, an email that you sent out recently with two incredible questions. So we're going to be covering a wide array of fascinating um, topics and very insightful and important topics uh, in addition to tips and about your books. So um, let's start with um, your story. So what was, what was the journey that led you into organizational psychology? Yeah. Um, I think that there were two crucial, well, really like a few crucial kind of building blocks. One was just being in a very traumatic experience myself as a young boy, parents got divorced when I was 11. Um, so there's two types of trauma. One is capital T, where essentially an event occurs that influences how you see the world. But then there's just being in a chaotic state, a chaotic environment that's lower T trauma. And so for me, I was in kind of a, a chaotic environment with no stability, um, nothing to hold on to essentially for years. And that was pretty much junior high and high school, just no foundation, no stability, wasn't very happy um, and just kind of watched as my family kind of fell apart. That's not necessarily what led me directly to organizational psychology, but ultimately about a year after I finished high school, I was basically doing nothing with my life, playing video games all day, living at my cousin's house, sleeping on his couch, and just starting to actually think about things. Um, think about where do I want things to go? Like, do I like the direction this is going? Looking at my peers, looking at my friends, looking at my cousins, looking at my family, just 
not really being that stoked. Uh, internally, I'm quite a spiritual person. And so I, I, I kind of had that within me, even though I didn't really, it was kind of suppressed for quite a few years, but I ultimately decided I wanted to get out and have a fresh start. My younger brother, two years younger than me, he ended up joining the military. He went into the Marines. I ended up serving a church mission. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was really transformational for me, like being in a new role, new context, new environment. I really got to reinvent myself. And I, I read a lot of books. I really got into journaling during this experience. And this is, I think what, this is the experience that got me into psychology. First off, I was reading all sorts of good books and I was writing in my journal like crazy. I was like, you know, doing all sorts of community service and just kind of opening up. Um, and for the first time in a long time, I was opening up. I think that like, as an example, we've got 15 month old babies who are going through swimming lessons right now, 15 months old. They can't speak because we have got swimming pools here in Orlando. And like, it's funny to watch them get thrown into the pool and like, they have to like, you know, they're having to learn how to like flip over on their back. And like, it's kind of crazy for them. Um, but they're learning so much. And so like, I hadn't gone through deep learning for years, like junior high and high school, I wasn't really learning. I was, I was more shut down. And so like this mission experience just opened me up and it showed me how much people could change. And so I was like, mm-hmm. okay, I'm studying psychology. Um, and then it was just really the decision to kind of either go practical, like go, go like therapeutic or go like more organizational business, study leadership, training development. I just thought I really liked development and training. So that's what led me to psychology. So then, uh, is that a point so you began your blogging? Like, I guess one of the things our audience is definitely gonna be interested in is how in the world did you build such a huge following? Was it starting to blog and then writing for other sites? You know, like how did that, because not everyone who has the organizational psychology degree also oh, no. goes to the online platforms as you've done so well. No. And actually, to be honest with you, like I, I just finished my PhD in 2019. So last year, uh, I started blogging online in 2015 during my first year, which was also the year we got our foster kids. Um, wow. So I've kind of walked through the really the simple mechanics of the process of how it all worked. And uh, this is relevant to kind of everything I do. And it's also really kind of a breakdown of some of the process that I describe in personalized and permanent. But one of the reasons why I think I was able to kind of figure things out pretty quick, at least for myself. Um, and, it, you know, there's a lot of aspects of context, timing, place, et cetera. But I was very clear on what I'll call my future self. And like, well, we can go into like the science of how this all works later, but like your future self really is super essential to understanding what to do here and now. Like you start with future identity. Um, the research talks about how your future self should be clarified as a totally different person than you. And like, you really want to define out their context. And so for me, when I was in my first year of my graduate school, 2015, I was pretty clear at that point. And I'd wanted to be a writer for a few years, but I wasn't really sure the form that would take. And also one of the things is, I procrastinated writing for a few years because I was afraid of saying the wrong things, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, like I, for example, I now look at, I, I'll go back and look at blog posts that I've written four or five years, three or four years ago. And I'm like, holy cow, I would not say any of that today. <laughs> uh, and I was afraid of that. And so that's actually what stopped me from writing for a few years. Mm-hmm. Um, but the idea came to my mind that it's better to be anxiously engaged in a good cause, like just <laughs> doing good things and realizing it's okay to do imperfect stuff. Yes. Um, and that it's okay if you disagree with former stuff in the future. But anyways, I was kind of specking out my future self. And so I was like, I want, I, I, I for, as for myself, I, now that I had three kids, at least they were foster kids at the point, like I wanted to make a good living. I personally wanted to be a published author. That was just something that was interesting to me. I just wanted to go through that experience. I wanted to be having conversations like this, just writing. I wanted, I just wanted to be a professional writer. Like this was kind of me thinking about my future circumstances. I wanted the freedom to be able to come home and stuff like that when I needed to with my wife and kids. And so once I kind of framed that out, then I needed to actually set a goal. Um, I think that once you've clarified your identity, then you can set a goal to create that identity. And for me, I had to do a lot of asking. I asked a lot of 
questions to agents, other writers. And ultimately I decided like, I would like a six figure book deal from one of the big five. Like that's a tangible goal and your goal, you know, goals are really good for like allowing your brain to focus on something. And so like, then I asked a billion questions to people, you know, asked writers, like, how would you go about getting a six figure book deal? <laughs> like, how does that even work? If it, yeah. you know, and I didn't actually, like, I was so naive. Um, but I was just getting information and like, ultimately I, I started to hear kind of re- repetitious answers. It's like, you're not going to get a six figure book deal. So I was asking people like Jeff Goins, Seth Godin, um, my back in like 2015, you know what I mean? Like these people are still around, but like for me, they were like, you know, and even like Ryan holiday and others. Um, but like, I got consistent answers. Like, you know, if you're going to actually get a six figure book deal, you should probably, you're probably gonna need about a hundred thousand emails. Like, um, mm-hmm. and so like, I just kept getting these consistent answers. And so then I was like, well, I didn't even have any emails. I didn't even know what that meant. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, but like that goal shaped my process and, and I'm a big believer. You know, I know that in the creative world, there's such a debate between goal versus process. And I'm such a believer that the goal really does shape the process. Um, hmm. And, and, and um, like for me, the future self is kind of the why. Um, and then the goal is kind of the what, <laughs> obviously the process is the how, but um like, I don't know if you, do you know the concept of deliberate practice by chance? Uh, not in that specific term. I yeah. So know. maybe the yeah. 10,000 hour rule. Yes. Yes. Malcolm Gladwell. So the deliberate practice is essentially the 10,000 hour rule. And it's, it's very different from routine practice. So like to do something routine over and over, maybe even a thousand times may not get you any better. Like, so you go to the gym and you do the same workout over and over and over. Um, no guarantee you're actually gonna get any stronger or healthier by doing that. You know, like you may be able to maintain, but re- deliberate practice is very much again, it's called deliberate, but it's very much, you have to actually have a future self in mind in order to practice in a certain way or to go through a process that's transformational that leads mm-hmm. to development, you know, like whether it's like exercise, like getting stronger, getting faster. In my case, like writing things that could be read initially by tens of people to hundreds of people to thousands to millions. Um, there's processes that you go through in order to go through that development. Um, and I would have never gone to that process if I wasn't really clear on the outcome or the goal. Uh, and then, uh, and then, and so if I'm, I'm very big on process being a product of the goal. Um, but yeah, then ultimately I just, I took online courses, you know, I, I took an online course from John Morrow taught me how to write on headlines mm-hmm. and uh, just kept asking a million questions and just started blogging a lot and not filtering myself, but studying people who had done it well, like studying blog posts and how they work and studying structures. And, and then ultimately just putting myself in the right mindset and writing from the most, in, you know, writing from the emotional state that I would want my reader to experience the, the reading in. And so after kind of learning structuring and headlines, a lot of it was just getting myself into the right emotional place so that I could write from the place that I want my reader to connect to. Mm. So as a part of that, did you dabble into any of the systems or structure for getting traffic, like any of the SEO and have to bend some of your, okay, you didn't. So it's just, I mean, I did, I mean, I did study headlines. And so, I mean, obviously I've, I've been, some people have told me that I'll use like clickbaity headlines every once in a while. And like, I've never worried about that. Um, because from my perspective, I've watched actually for a long time on medium, what I would do is I would publish an article and let's just say it got 5,000 views. I would then a month later, literally copy paste the same article, but change the headline and watch it get 50,000 or a hundred thousand views. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, you know what? I'm willing to play this game, but for me, I, I want to have integrity that if I'm going to write something, it's going to be something valuable. So that if someone clicks it, it's going to shock them in a good way. Yeah. yeah. 
Dots. But I never Dots. studied SEO, never did yeah. any of that. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's we, we were doing a lot of that as well relative to writing the content we want to write. But then we are trying to say, okay, in order for people to find it, um, we need to at least keyword it and see if it's something that anyone in the world searches, you know, and yeah, 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 yeah. Names phrasing just enough not to change the content, but so that it can be found. So yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And of course, you know, so, so you began, what is it that you think helped you going from what is an email list to now having over 400,000? There was a few big things. There was a okay. few big things. Um, so my first kind of, so I started writing on medium.com right around early 2015. I kind of copy pasted stuff into my blog and into to medium. Didn't really know much else. Um, medium was kind of a fresh platform and um ultimately one of my articles did kind of go viral. So like this was maybe a few months into writing. Um, I wrote like a morning routine article and it, it got viewed and picked up by like Huffington Post and got picked up like by business. But it got a ton of views. And at this point I was, you know, I had like, I was using Infusionsoft to be honest mm-hmm. with you. Um, and I was shocked because honestly, I got probably three, three or 4 million views in a few days. And I, it was just so much traffic. And I was like, why is my email list still a hundred people? You know, I was like, this should be like yeah. tens of thousands. Like this is a big article. Like, yeah. like a lot of people were like, this is the biggest article on medium in a long time. Um, and so the thought came to me, but like when something's getting a lot of traffic and then it's starting to drop down, like once it's dropped down, like, you know, something could have gotten millions of views, but then next week, like no one looks at it. Um, so like on the way down, I had the thought, like, I need to tell people to go to my website. And so like edited the bottom and said, if you like this article, go to my website, you can get my free ebook. Cause like I did learn that you got to give something away for free to some degree. Okay. Um, and so people went to my website and I went just by doing that one thing, but it was at the tail end of the traffic. I went from about a hundred to about 3000 emails, just like bang, because like there was so much traffic, but then over time I read Russell Brunson's book, com secrets, which was really helpful. And that taught me to shift over. Like, so I learned to not send people to my website because websites are not optimized for a decision. Like they're actually set up for distraction. Like there's multiple tabs. There's too many things <laughs> yeah. to do. Um, websites, a good place to go. If people like already know who you are, but like in order to just quickly get them in the door and get them into your email list, the last place you want to send them is to your website because it's decision fatigue. There's too many options. And so I learned to send people to like just a landing page or a squeeze page, basically just a small page with a single option, which is give me your email if you'd like this free gift or, you know, no, thank you. That's okay. And so for a long, so that shift actually changed things big for me. I went from, you know, and I was growing my traffic and stuff, but I went from getting about maybe a couple hundred emails a month to getting a few thousand just by changing people to the webs, to the landing page. And then, you know, with the same amount of traffic, no, you know, just 10 X the, the opt-ins because I was sending them to a page where it was like a 50% chance that they would give me their email or more. Um, then the other big shift I made was rather than giving away my ebook, I gave away a, like a free checklist, like a morning routine checklist or just a checklist, a checklist of whatever it is that, you know, is a small actionable three page guide or whatever. And that was a lot less frictional, you know, like less friction. And so by making that one change, it, you know, rather than the ebook, it went from about three to 4,000 emails to eventually 20,000 emails with a month. I was getting 20,000 emails a month for about two years, Wow, wow. which was just crazy all through medium pretty much. I mean, it was wild. It was wild. And it makes so much sense because the first, my first thought is, well, we want to grow our website traffic and numbers and um, uh, ranking in Google. But then if you first capture the emails then and build your community that way then you have a way to send them your articles which will then send them to your website yeah yeah and i wasn't actually necessarily planning that i was not you know i got to the point where i believed honestly you didn't need a website 
just because there are so many great platforms out there now. Um, but medium did change. It changed. I could start to feel the frictional change because I was getting so much traffic that any minor tweaks that they were making to the system, I could feel it, you know, like pretty dramatically. And I could tell that stuff was happening. I remember telling my wife, like this platform is changing. And I, I didn't really, I'm, I'm all about adapting, you know, and figuring things out. Like in this current situation, it may not be medium that would get you a bunch of emails. Medium could still get you a lot of traffic, but there's other things available. There's always something in the current system that you can use. Um, but basically the shift that occurred and, and a lot of it was my own goals. So a lot of it was the platform change, but my own goals were changing. I mean, by the time it changed, I was already writing books and I was kind of focusing on bigger, bigger, bigger projects, but medium did stop allowing you to add those calls to action at the bottom. Like, so for a long time, I had a call to action at the bottom of all my articles and that call to action would lead people to the landing page and they'd get it straight into my email. And that's, and they really changed all the rules. You know, they were really focusing on figuring out themselves as a platform and they didn't allow any of that. So if you did any of that, you'd like either get kicked off the pro, you know? And so like, essentially now you can use the platform to get page views, but you can't get it to get emails. And when that shift happened, it stopped being relevant to me. <laughs> right. Which is why you wrote, you stopped writing for them, I guess, in 2018. Well, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, and is there any other, pl I know you have a large enough list now that you may not be actively continuing to list build or grow in that way, but uh, are there any, uh, you talked about that there's always something in in the current system to use. I yeah. know Gary Vaynerchuk talks about LinkedIn being a great one and TikTok for those who are making videos. Is there anything that you're I using think LinkedIn. now? I think LinkedIn's great. You know, I'm, I mean, I'm going to be building my own website and I'm actually, I'm about to be done literally tomorrow with uh, a book that I'm writing. Um, and I'll be happy about that. And I'm actually going to get, I'm excitedly, I've got a big list of blog posts that I want to write. I haven't written very many blog, fresh blog posts in about a year and a half. And so, I've act, I'm actually going to get way back into that right now. Um, and so I think LinkedIn's great. I am actually going to use Medium, um, but obviously you, you, can, you can only use it for eyeballs. You can't use it for emails. And right. like, like I said with my, with my story of the, the viral post, just because you have email, eyeballs does not mean you're going to get emails. Like it, right. the two don't correlate. Um, that's why I think a system. So I think LinkedIn is probably the best as far as like a blogging platform, obviously it's got a different culture than places like medium. Um, and I don't know if there's any other great writing platforms. I mean, the reason why medium was so cool is because you could write about such a diverse amount of topics. You could write about politics, you could write about culture, you could write about creativity, you could write about entrepreneurship, you could write about self-help, you could write about anything like on, mm -hmm. you know, LinkedIn is a little bit more niche -y, you know, it's a little yeah. bit more professional, but I think you still can get away with a lot over there. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So, Back to your books for a minute. Um, the, your first book, actually, Willpower Doesn't Work is not your first. You have, what, four published books? Um, no, no. Willpower Doesn't Work is the first traditional. I have, um, I have some ebooks that I've written. Uh, I started with ebooks, but, you know, Willpower Doesn't Work was the first traditional. Um, that came out in 2018. And then I have two traditionals coming out this year. So I've got Personality Isn't Permanent. And then I, I have a book called Who Not How, which is a co-authorship between me and Dan Sullivan. I'm sorry, what was the title of the second one? Who Not How. Who Not How. Those are great titles. Well, tell us about um, Willpower Doesn't Work and how you decided to write it. Yeah, Willpower Doesn't Work. I actually wrote a blog post sometime probably in 16 or 17 about Willpower Doesn't Work. It was actually called Willpower Doesn't Work. Here's How to Change Your Life. It was kind of about addiction, but it was about just how you have to, you know, basically the steps to committing yourself to doing something and about how you really have to change your environment. Like I was just like, if... And the reason I wrote that article is because uh, obviously I watched myself change my environment, um, but I also have a younger brother and I've got family who have genuine intentions, genuine, amazing talent, uh, potential, 
but essentially get squandered because they don't make a fundamental shift to their environment. And I had learned, you know, that lesson very powerfully because first off studying psychology, context is king, but also um, bringing our three foster kids in three, you know, you take them from a very limiting environment, you put them into a new environment, not the best environment in the world, but a pretty good environment. And you're, you know, if you have a new environment or if you have a new context, you've got way different options. You'll show up way differently because in their former environment, they didn't have those options, you know, like they were literally sitting in front of the TV all day and their parents were neglecting them all day. Um, So your context determines your options and your, and your options determine your choices. But also when we took in these kids, totally changed everything for us. I mean, immediately we went from two graduate students with a lot of time on our hands to like dealing with extreme behavioral issues and like having to learn all sorts of stuff. And so we had to learn how to adapt and adjust on the fly. And um, so the book's just really about how environment matters a lot and about how you can consciously shape your environment, shape your situation so that you can become who you want to be. Uh, And if you don't, you're probably not going to become who you want to be. And so that was really what willpower doesn't work was all about rather than doing it all by yourself, looking at, looking at it a little bit more holistically. Yeah. Well, you're good with coming up with titles too. So that's a great <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so, um, and I think your new book, Personality Isn't Permanent, is going to become as important and epic a tome as Carol Dweck's book, Mindset, relative to helping people realize they don't need to be stuck in their story or history. Um, in fact, you've got to be, if you haven't already booked an interview, you've got to be on Impact Theory with Tom Bilyeu. Do you already have that scheduled? I don't have it scheduled yet. You, because Mindset is Tom's all-time favorite book. He's obsessed with it. And I'm confident yours will be his next. Thank you. That's really generous. That's yeah, generous. I, I, you know, Mindset is top top 10 for me. Uh, I, I went through Dweck's work many times, um, even while writing Personality Isn't Permanent. And uh, Dweck's work is very important to me. It's so deep. I mean, so rich. If you really just like go through it, there's so much there that can easily be passed over. <laughs> That's it definitely, I've, I've listened to the audiobook a couple times, and I also have the written book because I wanted to go back and capture, I mean, um, the ebook because I wanted to go back and capture quotes and texts and that sort of thing. I even got chills when you were talking about how deep it is, and yours is the same. So, um, again, it's going to be, you know, like two must-have book, books in the bookshelf, you know, for anyone looking to break free. Now, I mean, talking about your book, though, Personalizing Permanent, uh, beginning with this fantastic, let me just read the description for it for a moment um, to bring people up to speed with that. So personality isn't permanent, debunks the pervasive myths of personality that have captured pop culture. For example, personality tests like Myers-Briggs and Enneagram can actually be, wait for it, psychologically destructive. Yikes. So this will not be a popular message uh, for many people who love those kinds of tests, but it's so true because personality isn't permanent. It, well, personality isn't permanent. Sorry, reading still the, the book description provides a science-based strategies for reframing past memories, becoming the scribe of your identity narrative, upgrading your subconscious and redesigning your environment. When you know the truth of personality, desired personal change can be dramatic and directed. When you don't, personality is something you seek to discover rather than create. So I love that. And that's fantastic. So share with us more about the foundation of how this came to be. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I, you already have to some extent, I can see in here in your story, but just uh, the title and how you decided when you decided to write the, this book. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so there were a few things that led me to writing this book. Um, I'll go ahead and hit the personality testing in a minute. Um, 
I think well, there's actually a lot of depth of rich concepts there to understand about these tests and about how they work. But just to give a little bit of background, when I was doing my PhD, and by the way, if you want to hear an alternative perspective, if if you know who Adam Grant is, who Adam Grant is, Adam, he wrote a book called Originals. He wrote a book called Give and Take. Um, he's quite a he's quite a famous psychologist. He's at Wharton, which is um, but he if you Google Adam Grant, and by the way, he's given some beautiful TED talks on creativity. But if you look up Adam Grant Myers Briggs, you'll just get a, an alternative perspective. <laughs> uh, okay. You can learn you can learn a lot. There's also a lot of interesting stuff on on um, kind of the workplace cultures and things like that. But when I was going through the PhD, one of the core concepts that organizational psychologists do, and, and really psychologists in general, is, is what's called psychometrics, which is essentially test development. Um, you have to you've got to create tests. You've got to validate those tests. Um, and so a huge aspect of good science is reliability and validity. Like, are you actually studying what you say you're studying? Like, are you measuring what you say you're measuring? And is it, is it, is it reliable? Like, are you getting the same thing over and over? Like, if you, if you study something and you keep getting different results, then you're not actually, your, your measure is not correct. You know, it's, your measure is not right. There's something wrong with the measure. Um, and so there's, there's really extreme rigorousness that goes into developing science. Um, and you know, I'm not the best scientist in the world, although I went through all the experience of learning how science works. Um, but over and over and over again, it was like the most consistent theme of just ex my professors explaining to me that tests like Myers-Briggs, like the more popularized type-based personality tests are not, they're not valid and they're not reliable scales. Um, they're just not. Um, so like, and, I'll, and if you want, we can go into this later, but like, that was interesting to me. It was not the reason I wrote this book, but I was just like, that's really interesting. Um, but uh, the thing that really hit me, aside from the idea of obviously not, not wanting to be overly categorized, was reading Bessel van der Kolk's book, The Body Keeps the Score. I mean, that book really hit me. And that book's like the definitive book on trauma. But mm -hmm. basically what he found, and it's really just so powerful, he talked about how trauma literally freezes your personality and keeps you stuck in the past. And that's really never, personality should never stop developing over time. Like, you know, it's, it's a myth that personality is innate and unchangeable. Like personality is supposed to be developing. The problem is, is actually when it stops developing and stops changing. Um, and trauma can do that. Trauma shatters imagination. It shatters um, what's called psychological or emotional flexibility. And, you know, and so it's the opposite of what would allow you to be creative. Literally trauma gets you very dogmatic and black and white in your thinking and how you view yourself and how you view the world. And so one of the core tenets in psychology is that the best way to predict a person's future behavior is to look at their past behavior. Um, and that's like, that's a problem. Like, like yeah. if you're someone who wants to change and grow and if the best way to predict your future is to look at the past and that means that, you know, you're probably stuck. Um, and so I just want to understand why that was. And I saw that trauma was one of the big reasons why. And I just wanted to, I wanted to give a science-based approach to what is personality, explain what it's not and explain how it gets stuck and how it can change. And so that those are kind of, it took about after reading Bessel's book and just really thinking about it, probably like five or six months to actually figure out, okay, I'm going to write a book on personality. <laughs> I didn't really want to. And it's such a broader topic than what I often write about, but it's a, uh, it's a, uh, I'm glad I did it. It was hard. Well, yeah. I mean, so it just, it makes so much sense. It's really like logical and commonsensical. And that is uh, when we take those tests, it's based on who we are now and who we've been. 100%. Uh, it, yes. it, is, it is not prescriptive or uh, prophetic about potential and where we can go, you know, and yet it's so much a part of our culture. You know, so many of us grow up with hearing these mindsets, you know, such as um, we turn 50 and we have a hard time getting up from the chair. Oh, I must be getting old. 
we're not instead we're not saying gee now i really need to exercise it's time to exercise it's time to make the body stronger instead we're saying well that's just my doom you know that's what i'm doomed to is to getting old or well i've always been that way you know i've never liked this and that kind of thing and then we we let that be you know uh, what limits us Uh, i don't know if you ever years ago i read um the series clan of the cave bear you know, Never heard of it. Familiar with that, that fiction series. I don't read fiction anymore, but when I was years ago, it was a really an epic. Um, uh, Jean All, I think, is a, the author's name, but I can link it in their show notes. But anyway, it's the concept of uh, sort of like uh, the Neanderthals and then the the future people. It's like the, uh, the that they called others, and the future new human type body um, had a wisdom or had a visions that the the clan couldn't have. And the medicine women recognized that that the clan was stuck in the past, and their wisdom was o- their memories only. You know, so there is wisdom in our memories. Of course, yeah, yeah, there is wisdom. It, exactly, we can't let it limit us. And so, the other thing I think that I've discovered about things like whether it's astrology or personality readings or you know any of those kind of things that you mentioned, Myers Briggs, etc., personality tests. That's what I was looking for. Um, chances are, if someone asked us those things about ourselves, we would be able to label them all. You know, like, yes, I'm an introvert and yes, I do this and that. And yes, I'm strong with starting and not with finishing. And it's like, okay, we know all these things. Essentially, we know that. So, so in a way, then we're taking these tests to validate who we've been reinforcing that we are as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what's, yeah, it's true. <laughs> um, yeah. The, the interesting thing about these tests is, is that there's, there's, a, there's, so I'll, I'll explain why people love them and I'll explain why they're really damaging um, and also just non-helpful. Um, so people love them because if you haven't done the work of refining and clarifying and reframing your former identity, like traumas, things like that of the past and being able to explain because identity is shaped through story. And so if, if you haven't done the work to explain your past in a, in a, like, in a conscious way and also in a flexible way, and also if you haven't really thought about who you really plan to be and you don't have a clear future self in mind and if you haven't been striving towards that then you don't necessarily have a clear identity. Um, so what people would say is you lack self-awareness to some degree. And so what these tests can do is they can essentially give you a fast food identity. They can give you a story to explain yourself with, and that really removes a lot of complexity. It's difficult to not have a clear identity. Like if someone asks you who you are, you want to be able to answer. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so identity, you know, these tests can give you a sense of identity, which may not feel perfect, but it feels it, it, it's something you can then use to explain yourself and relate to other people. And so, um, although it is a fast food version, which is kind of non, uh, it's very much as you're saying, it's a, it's a current view of yourself. It's a snapshot. One of the reasons why these tests are not uh, reliable <laughs> uh, is that you're going to get different scores in different situations. You know, you're going to get different scores next week or in a different environment. And so like, how you get a score really, you know, you should be weary of actually your results. Um, Cause like, there's a lot of research now that says like the distance, but so like now they've done a lot of longitudinal research. Like there's a lot of cool research now on personal development or, or personality development over time. So they've done like, for example, what's called longitudinal studies. They've people took literally people in Ireland took personality tests back in like the sixties. And like now those same people now like they're, you know, like they're, they're in their like, seventies and whatnot. They take personality, like the same measures and zero correlation. Like they don't, they're not the same people at all. Like, and like, you'll find this even with smaller, you know, smaller intervals. Like, so Daniel Gilbert, he's a Harvard psychologist. He wrote the book, Stumbling Upon Happiness. Mm-hmm. Um, but he did, he gave a TED talk, which your listeners would love. It's a six minute TED talk. It's called the psychology of your future self. And 
he studied, you know, basically how your personality changes over a smaller timeline. So like, I'll just use you as an example. Like, do you feel like you are the exact same person you were 10 years ago? Definitely not. <laughs> so you, you've, there's probably lots of things that are different, right? You see the yeah. world differently. You're in a different context. You're in a different situation. Um, and that's very normal, very normal and healthy to view your current and your former self as actually pretty much two different people. You know, like, yeah, there's elements that are similar, but like, you see the world differently, you have different priorities, you have a different perspective, you have different goals, you have probably different relationships, probably different habits. <laughs> um, and what, you know, what Gilbert and others have found that it's very important to distinguish not only your current and your former self, but your future self, like your future self is actually going to be just as different, but people downplay people, you know, people, if they think about who they were 10 years ago, can be like, I'm not the same person at all. But what the consistent finding is, is that even if people quickly can easily see big change in the past, they downplay potential change in the future. Um, they don't think that their future self is going to be as different, you know? Um, and so what- they can't imagine it because they can't quite imagine it because they haven't been it yet. That's exactly it. So Gilbert's, well, and also they kind of think that the current version of them is actually the finished product. They think that mm. they are who they are because we feel, and so Gilbert says, you know, human beings are works in progress that mistakenly think they're finished. Um, wow. But then what you said is perfect. Um, he said that we don't predict the future, not because we can't, but because we don't. He said, we, we spend a lot of our time remembering the past and thinking that that's our identity. And we spend very little time imagining the future. Um, and if you don't imagine the future, and if you don't think about it, and if you don't frame it, then you can't be intentional. You can't live consciously. Uh, right. Essentially, you're on autopilot. You're living subconsciously, and you're essentially just on autopilot being who you were yesterday. If you don't have a clear future self, then you can't be consistent with the future. You, you, you can only be consistent with the past. Right. Um, I will say one more thing if I can. No, absolutely. That's so profound. There's, there's one more thing that's essential to understand with these tests. Um, well, there's two. One is, is that they, they completely ignore context. Um, so you get a score. I'm an ENFJ or I'm an, I'm an X. And you assume that that score is actually always true. Um, it's, it's, an, it's an over obsession with content and an under appreciation of context. Um, and context is really what gives the content meaning. I'll give an example. Like in an email that I sent not too long ago, I used the word viral. I think, did I tell you this already? Yeah, no, I know, I, but I got oh. your email. <laughs> yeah, and I, I used that word viral explaining an article, I think, that I was reading or writing. Um, and I got a handful of emails and they said, you know, will you not use that word right now, given the oh. situation? And I, I was totally understanding. I was like, okay, that makes sense. But if I had written that word four weeks ago, zero response, right? It wouldn't have meant anything. Right. Um, and that's just an example that the word isn't exactly what matters. It's the context that gives the word meaning. Um, viral in one situation in the coronavirus situation has a different meaning than it did before this experience occurred. And so this is just an example that context matters a great deal more than content, but these tests ignore that. Um, the assumption is, is that if you have a score, it's who you always are. Um, and so basically what the tests do is they create what's, you know, they create tunnel vision. They create mm -hmm. what's called select, like in psychology, we have selective attention. When you buy a car, you see that car everywhere, right? Yes. But you don't see the 500 other cars on the road. You don't pay attention to those. Right. And so when you've adopted a label, then you only see the label and you miss all of the, so it creates tunnel vision. You don't see when the label is not true. And so Ellen Langer, and I would recommend this to all of your creative audience because her work is so beautiful. So Ellen Langer has been a Harvard psychologist for a long time and she wrote a book called Mindfulness and she wrote a book called Counterclockwise. Um, both of them are just some of the most rich books. You, if you haven't read them, you will, you will be yeah. bathing in them. Like they're yeah. just <laughs> okay. so beautiful. 
but okay. she talks, she spent a lot of, because she's essentially considered the queen of mindfulness. She's been studying mindfulness for 40 years. She spent a lot of time studying what leads to mindlessness. And obviously mm-hmm. labeling yourself is one of the fastest ways to become mindless of context. Um, you know, people who believe that they're depressed think that they're always depressed. They don't notice like the several times in a given day when they're actually feeling great. Um, Cause you only see the car that you're driving, you know, right, you know, right. and so um, the final problem is just that when you've overly assumed a label, you then set goals to reinforce the label rather than setting goals you genuinely want. And so it's, it just leads to a fixed mindset and it leads you to pursuing lesser goals. It's, it's, they're really damaging. Definitely. So and when you're talking about future self, of course, the common parlance for that um, is also visioning and vision boarding and that sort of thing. Um, and we do talk a lot about that from with using that language with um, I create daily because of the, the realization of how profound and important that is. But your point a few minutes ago that was just, again, so impactful is the concept of how much time we spend energizing our past stories versus our future stories. And really that I think it's, um, it's just a matter of the context of conditioning of being exposed to that. And that's what people like you, your book, I create daily that we're bringing out into the world. Um, it's like you're, people are going to keep hearing it, but hopefully they won't hear it and think, Oh yeah, I know all about that because chances are most of us are not doing it because we've been in, in, you know, ingraining and entrenching our old stories for years. Um, we had, um, uh, I know a person who is in her seventies and is still talking about how she is, who she is because of, her mom, what her mom did, you know, to her kind of thing. So that, you know, that's what, 50, 60 years of limiting things. Telling the same story, explaining yourself the exact same way for six decades. That's right. That's right. (laughs) You know, the beautiful thing about it is it helps us realize that the moment we stop doing that, like you did, you know, when you decided, I don't want to be this person that sits on the couch all day and play video games, you know, do I, you know, like this isn't the life I want, is it, you know, who do I want to be? And you just kind of completely change your context and begin to realize that, wait a minute, this is, this is fertile ground for growth, for doing something different. Yeah. I mean, what's crazy is, is that when you really break it down, and this is scary. This is a hard reality, but your identity is actually shaped on what you want. It's shaped on what you're striving for. And so for me, for a long time, it was just, I was striving to play video games. Like, and so what you're saying is right. You've got to kind of question what, what do I want? Or, you know, and this is where the future self can come in, but it's like, should I want what I currently want? Cause what I currently want may not be that great for me. You know, your current self has different preferences than your former self and your future self would probably have different preferences than your current self. And so it's like, what, what should I want? What would be more valuable to want? You know, like, yeah, I want to sit and watch YouTube all day because I'm distracted. But if my future self is a professional author, like, then maybe I should probably want to do other things with my time, you know, like, um, and so, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's definitely interesting. (laughs) Well, so, so, you know, first, I think what happens to many people, for me, it's all about, And when you exercise, you begin to see all kinds of correlations to how you can develop and change your body and make it healthier to to how we can do the same thing at each level of existence, you know, from our emotional muscles to our mental muscles to even our spiritual muscles relative. It's all about, you know, the more we use it, the more we have of it and vice versa. We don't use it, we lose it. And so it's like many people have the concept of this is what in particular young people do this, but not just, you know, like when they're in their teens and twenties, Oh yeah, I want to do this. I want to be that. I want to, you know, uh, travel the world. I want to, but then they don't do anything to put it in place to begin to set it in motion. That's why one of the things in the mantras that I create daily literally is to create daily and how it is that we love it from being so much about just, 
you know, just the art and just the writers into writing a book to basically foundationally as a personal development around creativity is because of the awareness that to create anything, whether it's a book, a goal, a piece of art is to help us really realize and begin to make the connection between what is in our head becoming real and how we go about doing that. And it is a day by day process of refinement and no one, you know, ever starts out ahead of ahead of that game and knowing it without putting forth the effort and the time. Yeah, I love what you're saying. Uh, I think that uh, a fast way, I think a crucial initial way to get yourself out of the pattern of essentially just being who you've been and kind of moving in this direction. First off, you want to start with your identity, which we've talked a lot about future self and actually being honest. Like they say that the number one deathbed regret is that people lacked the courage to be who they wanted to be. And instead they, they lived according to the expectations of the people around them. Mm -hmm. So I would say if you were genuinely honest, like, genuinely honest about what you would love to be doing, who you would love to be, what your circumstances would be. Like if you dared to admit what you wanted, the next step after you've actually taken the time to imagine and organize it, because often people will think about that once every week or two, or maybe once a month. But like, if you actually take the time, as you're talking about the daily creative process to actually visualize and think about it and clarify it and define it, that's really good for your current identity because now you kind of have a sense of who you genuinely want to be. But then the next major step, is to begin telling everyone, you know, shifting the story, right? Rather than the story being that same story of the decades, the six year, six decades of being the same person, being radically honest about who your future self is and, and admitting that that's not who you are right now. Yes, I'm planning on becoming a professional writer. You're going to start to see me blogging in a little bit. It might be super ugly for a while because I have no clue what I'm doing, but this is where I'm going. This is what I'm committed to. And this is why I want this. Um, beginning to be honest about who you're striving to be allows your words to match your, your vision. And then obviously you, um, there's a few big benefits of being fully honest. You start to become more congruent with your story. You start to, your mm -hmm. behavior starts to follow and become more consistent with the future version of you versus the former version. But also you do create an environment where people then are, they are expecting or sensing what you're striving for. Like if you don't tell people where you're wanting to go genuinely, then they're going to look at you the same way they've been looking at you from their own tunnel vision. They're going to see you as the same person you've always been. But if you're telling people, this is what I'm going for. Uh, it's a little different than what I've been doing, but this is what I'm, this is what I'm committed to. And this is why it matters to me. Then people will actually watch your change process happen in real time. And they'll, they'll be able to see you changing versus if you don't tell them what you genuinely want, then they're going to just assume you're the same person you were yesterday. Um, so it's really powerful and important to tell everyone about what you're trying to do. It really yeah. aligns you and your environment. That's such a good point. And don't worry about anyone laughing at you or criticizing you or whatever, because um, they're just trying to insulate themselves from your big dreams. And, and, and <laughs> it really throws people. I mean, some people, you're right. Some people are going to be off and it will clarify who's going to support you and encourage you. You're right, though, that the people right. who don't, it's their own baggage. That's, it's their own baggage. And, and your growth threatens uh, their lack of. You know, in other words, it threatens their lack of it. It brings up their fear. It brings up the fact that they're avoiding doing what they want to do. So focus on so much on your future vision that you don't even have time to see or read those comments anyway. Uh, but in what you just said, though, is perfect because my next question was going to be 
back to the original thing about people having so many dreams and ideas and, you know, they say it and they speak it and they do it in their teens and their twenties and now in their thirties and forties and they're still saying it and speaking it, but haven't done anything, you know, from I want to lose 10 pounds to, or I want to lose 50 pounds, whatever, to uh, I want to be a writer and then never doing anything about it. So what you just said before this address it all, you know, you, you set that in motion, you begin to put it out loud. And the other thing that does is as we begin to speak it, and then take the actions to do it, which in a way we almost kind of have to, because now we've put the vision out there. What happens is we reach a place where we become more aligned with ourselves and our own integrity. And when we begin to align who we are and who we're being and what we're doing with our vision, our highest vision of our best self, then we gain this confidence and this core of stability that's just, that, that helps us launch more fully into the world with that because of alignment, essentially. It's beautiful. I mean, there's, nothing more beautiful of a feeling than just fully owning who you want to be i mean oh wow what's yeah. in, what we i mean you just like literally it feels so enjoyable i mean I've, it's interesting they've studied like the um the emotional similarity between like you know like essentially like romance and creativity and like there's it's almost the same like i'm not saying that they're the same but it's the same emotional it's not the exact same but it's the similar like height like it's just so powerful to just own who you want to be and yes you're right. Some people are not going to fully be on board, but those are generally not the, you know, they're not, those are not the people who are going to carry you forward. Those are actually the people who are going to keep you the same person you are. And this isn't to say that you need to um, like judge them or like be critical. It's just essentially like if you're serious about your future self and who you want to be, you need to own that. And, and um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a beautiful, powerful feeling to do that and just, just to be that person. Um, yeah. Then you really have no regrets on a single day. Like, and yes, you fail doing it a lot. Like, it's not like you're always in that zone, but it's really powerful to commit yourself and then to get definitive and just to be like, this is what I'm doing. Like, and then you just really lock into your future self and you just start being that person. And that's where you're right. That's where confidence comes is where you start to be that person. Confidence is built by making progress in an intentional way. And so as you begin moving in that direction, as you begin acting in that direction, they call it self-signaling in psychology, but your actions determine in a lot of ways how you see yourself. And so as you talk about it and as you move forward, even small steps, it's going to solidify your identity. I mean, yeah. it's just, it's exciting. And then you just know it. Like you can get to the point as I'm sure you felt many times, like you just know that where you're going is, is going to happen. Like you just know that you're moving in that direction because you're watching it happen. And you're like, so it's just, so you're just, you're just there. Right. And, and if you're looking at the future vision, you're not worried about how it seems like it's just so far away from where you are right now. Um, because, and we talk a lot about this on I create daily is, you know, enjoy the journey because again, life is the journey essentially. Um, when you were talking, it brought to mind, it's always a challenge when it is that two people in a close relationship, such as a marriage where one is ready to grow and the other isn't, you know, we, we garden, um, we have a gardening website and we see that in nature plants, like to plant a fruit orchard, it can take six to eight years to get fruit, you know, to plant uh, radishes or vegetables or whatever, uh, or herbs, we have it almost immediately within a few weeks, uh, microgreens within one week, you know, so it's like everything germinates and, and blossoms at different rates. And so, you know, in a marriage situation, it can be disturbing, uh, to have one ready to grow and eager to grow and to feel like the negative person in their life is their spouse. Um, but I, yeah, it's true. yeah. Yeah. So I was going to, oh, so the next thing I, I was going to say about that before turning it back to you is that, um, just, I think in general, what I've heard from most people is the thing that helps 
transform that more than anything is for the person who's growing to, to turn their growth in onto themselves and not project onto what their spouse is or isn't doing. So in other words, you know, flowers attract bees by being beautiful, magnetic, and aromatic, not by sitting there saying, come look at me and do what I do and look, you know, <laughs> be who I am kind of thing. But if anyone's listening to this and they haven't, they're not married, then these are the important questions to ask and have conversations about together, right? To talk about your future self with your, your prospective relationship. Yeah, uh, I think both are crucial. I think that you hit it on the head when it comes to, like, if you're in a situation where the other person's not necessarily going the direction you want to be going, you should still focus. I mean, you can't force anyone to go anywhere. Like there's a really good book on this called choice theory, actually all about just, you know, like literally respecting other people's choices and hopefully creating relationships where people respect yours. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think you've got to move yourself forward and grow yourself and develop yourself. And, and there, there are areas obviously in that relationship where you can still nourish and grow. I mean, there's still got to be areas of connection. I mean, even if yeah. it's just like, food and like your love of food or it's like you know like there's got to be elements where you can still nurture the relationship and respect them but the best thing you can do 100 percent is just continue to grow yourself i mean you you got to keep doing that it can be a little frustrating when it comes to like you know being in potential relationships um i think this is the most crucial place in the world to tell people about your future self like you've got to be fundamentally honest about what you're up to i mean i remember when i was dating my wife lauren this was like in 2012 uh, and I was telling her I wanted to one day be a writer. This was like, again, like three years before I ever started blogging, but I was wanting mm -hmm. to do it. And I was thinking about it and kind of dreaming about it. And I was like, you know, I don't know exactly what I want to do, but I know that I want to kind of do stuff that isn't conventional and who knows what it's going to look like. And I remember kind of it hitting her that like being married to me was going to be a leap of faith. Like, <laughs> no, like I remember, I remember the conversation where she was just like, mm. so like, you don't have a normal clear path, right? And I'm like, <laughs> no, I don't like, yeah. and I'm like, but this is what I'm going to do. And like, you know, like I was very honest and upfront and like, but we, we, we also kind of come to some clear things. Like I've always loved fitness, for example. And like, you know, she's, that's just like, she's like, she likes exercising, but like, she'll go running and stuff, but she, that's just not her thing. And like, I, one of the big things we <laughs> we'll talk about is like, we're never going to force each other to do things that we want them to do. Like, you know, like what are our core priorities? Like what are the things we really want to create together? Like family, faith, like there's certain things that like we are going to build together. And then there's little things that like, if I go big on, you know, reading books and exercising, and if she goes big, big on like, you know, arts and crafts, like I, she doesn't have to force me in her whole, you know, in her interest and I don't have to force her in mine. And, you know, we're on a shared vision and a shared purpose and we, we, we give each other a lot of room to be ourselves. Yeah. That's beautiful. It's, it's been really helpful, but, but we, we really did get married to each other because we of and there's a really good theory on this. Um, and you could, you could probably just like give people the Wikipedia link to this, but it's called the self-expansion model. Um, it's, it's based on the idea that, you know, like we expand in our efficacy and our efficacy is basically our ability to produce results in our lives we expand as people, not through our own self, but it's literally through relationships. And mm. so like we expand our efficacy as individuals through relationships, because when you get in a relationship with someone, you actually literally embed their resources, not just financial, but like their skills, their knowledge, you embed those into yourself. When you get into relationships, you literally expand yourself to include them into yourself. Um, it's really powerful with creativity and collaboration, obviously. Yeah. 
it's, it's such a beautiful model. And by the way, I don't know if you've read this book, but it's called The Powers of Two. It's honestly no, my, my absolute favorite book on creativity. It's so amazing. I um, love books from you today. Okay. The Powers of Two. It's, it's shockingly good. Um, but uh, I think if you've got a vision and a purpose and you're both aligned on that, then you'll support each other along the way. Like it was not my goal to be a foster parent of three kids, but like we were on a shared vision and like that was what she felt to do. And so it's like, all right, I'm going to do it. Like for me, I love writing in the morning. And so like, she's like, okay, I got the morning routines with the kids, you know, like we, we, we give and take because we're both driving towards the same vision. Yeah. And, and in this case, it's the same foundational vision, you know, that your core values and what's important to you in life, those things are aligned. That's upon, that's what you build upon everything else. Everything else is just sort of window dressing, yeah. you know, design d- decor, that kind of thing to the relationship, but not essential. And I think yeah. that in general, anyone who's focused on uh, Dan, Dan Sullivan has the phrase that we use often focus on the gains, not the gaps. Um, so when we, you know, if we're focused on the gaps, then usually it's because we're sort of uneasy within ourselves. You know, whenever we're in a good mood and everybody's happy go lucky, then nothing really ruffles our feathers. And so really those, you know, those tension points are an opportunity for us to look and say, well, what's going on in me? You know, that I'm focused on this gap when, you know, and, and not remembering the foundational gains that we have. So in love with that idea. Yeah. Actually, I don't know if I told you, but Who Not How is a book that's co-authored with Dan Sullivan. Okay. Oh, okay. No, I didn't yeah, know Yeah. So Dan and I are good friends and uh, I'm in love with The Gain and the Gap. But yeah, Who Not How is with Hay House and it comes out in October and it's me and Dan. <laughs> so, But I, I'm, in lo- I'm in love with The Gain and the Gap. I, I mean, you I, did, actually, you mentioned it and I, but I'm, I blipped on like whose name it was. So I'm so glad you brought that up again. No, you didn't blip. You said Dan Sullivan. No, no, no. I mean, um, when you first brought up the book title, oh, yeah, yeah. I knew it was a co-author, but I forgot oh, yeah. to be the co-author. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. It's fine. But uh, yeah, I think the gain in the gap is one of the biggest ways to transform your view of the past because ah, good. I love yeah. the Byron Katie concept. Byron Katie yeah. uh, said work. everything happened for you, not to you, yes. you know, and if the past is still happening to you, then you're still viewing it from the, from the perspective of when it happened. And, right. you, and you haven't reframed your perspective. You haven't recontextualized it. You haven't, you're not viewing it from the perspective of your even current self or future self. You're viewing it still from, you know, six decades days. ago, yeah, <laughs> you know? Stories. And Absolutely. so it's like, when you think about the gains, no matter what happened, I mean, it may be a little bit too close, but even the current pandemic, like eventually we got to look at the gains and obviously there are many, many problems, but if you can't learn from your experiences and if you can't integrate them, then you can't get better. And and therefore you're stuck in the past and therefore your perspectives aren't changing and therefore you're not growing enough. And so everything can be happening for you. Everything can be happening for you. Yeah. And how that is, even if it seems like, you know, how could this ever be for me? It's like, there's always something to learn, including uh, how we handle panic or how we learn how to work through the stress, learning how to train our mind for us to be the master of the mind and not it to master us by going where it wants to go kind of thing. There's so many, there's so many things you mentioned. Um, I want to come back to your thing about the future vision and the pandemic in a minute, but going back to your comment about the, um, uh, the relationships and such um, it brought to mind again, the garden um, you were talking, since you're talking about the, the interconnectedness sort of like the atom of relationship of how it is that you begin to oscillate, you know, within the, the aura, so to speak of each other. And that's kind of like in the garden and plants and their root system and the, you know, the ecosystem of, of the, the insects and the birds and the butterflies and the flowers and how it all works together. Um, so, so it really is an interesting point about, you know, that, that context, the context of a relationship. Systems. Yes, the systems begins to define our lives in the same way as it does in nature. 
and we're, we're yeah, I love the idea of, I love the idea of ecologies and about how the system is living and that when you change a part of any system, the whole system changes. I mean, you're starting to see that. I mean, even, um, I mean, obviously the system's very different right now. Pollution's down. Uh, like I've heard that somewhere in the world, there's like 6 million additional turtles being born because people are not on the beach. Like, you know, you just, that, that, that has repercussions. I mean, if there's 6 million extra turtles, what's that going to do to like the water life? I mean, it's just, there's a really good, uh, video about this. I don't know if you've seen this about, I think it's called like how, what is it called? How foxes change rivers or something like that. Have you seen that? I know. How wolves, how wolves change rivers. That, yes, that, that just kind of shows that when you change any system and, and that's really what we're part of. We're part of a culture. We're part of a context. Absolutely. And I'm yeah, not and the same person I would be if I didn't marry my wife, I'd be a different person. Exactly. Wouldn't have five kids. <laughs> yeah. And same thing with, you know, like you were talking about the pandemic and such and the good things that potentially are coming from it. And we were just talking to my family the other day about how, thank goodness, it wasn't something like, a, um, what is it, like EMP, like, because now we're still connected with each other. We're still connected even, you know, families with families, you know, with this face-to-face, this incredible network, you know, that There's covers- There's huge gains. There's huge yeah, gains. huge gains, including, you know, the fact that this is a global so it's global so that you know, I'm talking to our VAs in the Philippines and India and, you know, they're talking about being shut in. We're talking about being shut in. You know, how's it going for you? And, you know, we're comparing those notes to now it's a human experience, you know, this sort of uniting the it's world. Crazy. It's crazy that it's the whole world. Yeah. So speaking of the world and then good things coming out of it. So let me pull up that. Is it okay with you if I share those? I it, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm glad you liked them. I'm, 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 I'm grateful that you liked them. Yeah, I did. Would you like to read it or shall I or say it or shall I? No, you go ahead. You go ahead. And I would love your reaction, honestly, or your thoughts. Okay. Okay. So uh, Benjamin's email sent out yesterday as of this recording. So that would have been the the 30th, March 30th. It just says, hey, I have two questions for you, which may help you think differently about the current situation. I've now asked these questions to hundreds of people and I'm consistently inspired by the answers I receive. I think the scientist is also probably taking notes about this is like research in real time, right? First question, what decisions are you glad you made before COVID-19 happened, which are helping you better cope with the situation? And number two, how is your future self helping you get beyond COVID-19? He said, regarding question one, here are a couple great quotes. The more you sweat in peace, the less you bleed in war by Norman Schwarzkopf. And the next one is the more you sweat in training, the less you bleed in combat by Richard Marcinko. Excellent. So, so yeah, I won't read the rest of the email, but those are the two like um, orienting questions um, relative to that. Because now, and you know, you're doing the gain versus gap thing too, in a way, because you're saying, you know, what are you glad you did you did beforehand mm-hmm. that is making a difference? And um, you know, for for us, it's the biggest thing I think is that we're gardening, uh, that we live in the woods, and that we um, have online businesses. You've um, done so many things before this event happened that make dealing with this not as detrimental for you. Yes. Including our health, you know, taking care of our health, exercising, eating well, that sort of thing. So it's not like now we have to catch up with everything. Um, and those are the, you know, those are the, the little things, you know, it's the little things that you put in place that make up the pieces of your life, you know, that create the big picture that you want to have, which is back to our talking about creating daily and having being intentional, being intentional. I mean, that's what you've been doing for a long dang time. You know, it's beautiful. Yeah. I mean, I think that, it was interesting. The thought, the thought literally popped in my head. I think it was like two days ago as far as like, cause I was thinking about some of my spiritual practices, but then it led me to think about other things. I'm like, wow, man, I'm really glad I've been doing these things for a few years. Like they've really enhanced my life and, and it allowed me to be in a situation where 
you know, that time's now all over, but now like I really, I got so much out of that and I wasn't expecting something like this to happen, but I'm so glad I was doing that even without the expectation that something like this would happen because now that it has happened, I'm in a pretty good place. I'm not talking about just like economically, I'm in a good place like mentally and spiritually and emotionally to like be okay with this. Like I'm not thrown off by this. Um, yeah, it's interesting. And, you know, I'm not saying I'm happy with what's happening, but I'm handling it. And our family's not even that dramatically impacted by it. Like my wife actually started homeschooling our oldest son a um, couple months ago. And it's funny, my wife's always made bread. Like she just loves making bread. And so like, we don't have to go to the grocery store to get bread. She makes great bread. And like, there's just little things that you, if you just look yeah. back and you kind of get yourself into the games, it's like, what are the things that I've been doing for a while that I'm really glad I've been doing? And, and then it allows you to think into the future. It's like, well, given now what this experience is, you know, what, what could I be doing to be a little bit more intentional in the future? Cause who knows what's coming, but even regardless of what's coming, how could I live a little bit better and more intentionally? Yeah. And, and it all really ties back to your, your book. Um, personality isn't permanent. Um, and you know, it, it, because it's not about, um, these are the things I like to do. I like this music. I like to watch these shows. I like to eat popcorn while I watch a movie. It, it's about creating who you want to and become. Creators. Yeah. Creators. Exactly. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, that's, I think that's the strong premise of the book is that I believe personality should be created. I do believe we're creators. Yes. That's why I love your podcast. I, and, and I think that the challenge with the current views and even is, is the idea that it must be discovered. Um, and, and, you know, when you seek to discover your personality, then your whole goal then becomes to confirm who you really are versus Validated. realizing, yeah, yeah. yeah you, you, but when you seek to create, then you do become the creator and your goals then become the shaper of your, uh, your, your goals become the shaper of your personality versus your personality being the shaper of your goals. Um, and that's crucial because your goals can and could transform you in so many beautiful ways. Um, yes. at and any I think age, that that's beautiful. At any age, it's like you're so fortunate that you discovered that so young. Uh, and, and yet at any age, you know, whether it's 17 or 70 or 90 or whatever, 50, everything in between. You can keep learning new things. You can keep learning new things and transforming who it is you are into who it is, into that future vision, who it is you want to become. That's fantastic. Well, I've kept you longer than I, I've I have. I've loved it. No, no, I I've loved it. I'm, I've never, loved if there's anything else you want to hit, we can do it. But I'm just, I, I, there's a very spiritual thing about what you're doing. I mean, I Thank can you. tell just by looking at your face, but your podcast is very spiritual but it's all i mean it's, i mean that's just one view of it but i mean it's super important and i just i'm i've been lucky just to be here with you to be honest oh, with you thank you so much and and i'm so glad that that feels that way to you because that is intentional that it is that way because that is very much our foundation as well so um yes yeah, so i would like to okay the la the qu closing questions you know are um sort of like um personal you know back to you can't want someone else to grow if they're not ready um, but it can be so frustrating to um, see someone on a self-destructive path, for instance, um, and to not be able to help affect or yes, change yes, that. Yes, yes, yes. So, I mean, like, I know we were talking about helping and allowing, you had a beautiful quote, which I'll pick up later um, in the show notes about sort of allow, allowing each other to grow at their own place and space. How do you handle it if it's someone in your life that you see going down a self-destructive path and you know, you know, like you see the parallel paths you see the fork in the road. 
just like mm-hmm. you did when you were 18, if you hadn't made the choice you make, where would it have led kind of thing? And it's, you know, and you know that if you stay in that self-destructive space, then you have to validate it by the mm-hmm. stories you tell and that you become entrenched in, you know, to justify. So, but if you see that happening, you know, what is, have you encountered a person? Lots of it. I encountered all the dang time. I think that <laughs> there's a, there's a few thoughts that immediately come to my mind. One is there's a quote from Peter Levine. He wrote the book, Waking the Tiger, Healing Trauma. He said, trauma isn't what happens to you. It's what you hold inside in the absence of an empathetic witness. And so I think what a lot of people need is empathy. You know, so it's not what, it's not what happens. It's what you're holding inside because you don't have an empathetic witness, you know? And, and I think a lot of times people who are in repetitive negative cycles, they, they, they never feel heard, even if they keep trying to talk. Um, and so I think just being an empathetic witness um, and just loving and appreciating them is one thing, but also a second one is this. Kind of like with what I said to you, I mean, are you the same person you were 10 years ago? Your answer was no. I think helping people realize that they're actually not the same person they were even a few years ago. People who are actually still kind of on a negative path. And like, if you ask them, like, do you think you're the same person you were five, three to five years ago? They'd probably say no, because even they have developed, even though it's hard for us to see that we have our tunnel vision, but like they can see that they're not the same person and you can help them realize you're not the same person you used to be. Um, and just kind of validating that, like, I know you've gone through a lot and I know that, you know, you're not there yet. Neither am I like who I hope to be in the future is not who I am yet. You know, like you're a work in progress who's and none of us are finished, you know? And so I think just helping them understand. And I think it's so empowering from a flexibility perspective to think like, you know, you're not the same person you were and, and, and the stuff that did happen to you, you know, that you were doing the best you could in that context. And with your current understanding, your former understanding, but you, you know, you've, you've grown a lot and, you know, you're not the same person as you were before and, and you're not going to be the same person in the future. And uh, just helping them realize that and appreciate that reality gives them somewhat of a permission to realize it's not fixed. They're not that stuck right now. Yeah. Maybe the story is a little stuck, but yeah. I've had conversations, for example, with my brother who's struggled for years and years. And, you know, we've talked about how he's not the same person he was before and how much he's changed. And that kind of gets you again, back into the game where it's like, wow, you know, there are actually areas where he has evolved. I mean, it's easy to focus on the one or two where he's still not evolving at all, but like there are areas where he's actually developed quite a bit. And, and in those are the areas he wants me to focus on because those are the areas that are important to him that he's put some work into. And so it's like, yeah, and in your future, you're going to be different as well. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, one of the things that uh, comes to mind for me when you were talking is the mantra we started using, especially if, if, if something is someone has done something to you that's, you know, unconscionable or whatever, or, um, or you're having a conflict in any kind of circumstance is to, you know, assert assert the mantra of what would love do what would love do in this circumstance because um it you can hold a resentment you can hold the pain you can you know keep keep that you know the the truth of what you experienced can keep you keep that in the forefront but if you resist any kind of connection with the person that you love or the person that matters or whatever, because of this tension and, you know, so many families have that right now, families are either coming closer together or discovering their greater rifts and to realize that, you know, is that the person you want to be in the world? The person that holds those kind of feelings and resentment. Such a beautiful uh, question. And how does your face look? How does your body feel? Is that the you that you want to become? You know, if not, if we can just let that go and say, and Rick recognize too, all the mistakes that we've made, you know, and how we wouldn't want to have those held against us. <laughs> kind of thing. Yes. 
Yeah, it's sad. Uh, there was, I wrote about someone in, in the book and I won't name him, but one of the stories in the book is a radical transformation. And I had someone who, you know, we all know this person personally, someone walked up to me and said, Ben, I really recommend you don't put his story in your book. He's like, it could look bad for you. And I said, why? He said, because, you know, who knows if this is just a posture and who knows if he's going to go back to who he was before. And I said, absolutely not. I said, I'm, I'm keeping the story in the book and I, I'm first not responsible for what he does, but second off, I believe he has changed and I'm not going to force him to be who he is in the past. I'm going to trust that he is changing and that he's seeking change. And I just thought it was interesting, you know, that, that he was, that, that, that this person was so attached to the past. You know? Yeah. And so many are, and it brings to the other thing that came to mind. And I forgot to mention when you were talking earlier about context, I don't know if you're familiar with Bruce Lipton's Dr. Bruce Lipton's book. Um, Love his work. Of belief and wisdom of your cells. Read them all. Love them. Okay. Okay. So, I mean, so that it is, and just for our audience that may not be familiar, highly recommend those, but the, the concept of context is epigenetics. People are hearing. Yeah, I was thinking them. epigenetics. I was thinking Epigenet exactly that when you were talking about it. Huge. Yeah. It's huge, which essentially means that um, our genes and our genetics are not fixed after all. So Definitely science not. is discovering that it is not fixed, that if you take the cells of a bladder and put it in a Petri dish with the cells of a lung, then it will take on the personality of the lung. Uh, so for us as humans, it, it's about context and then conscious. Uh, you meant, uh, what was the term that I, I was supposed to remember? Um, practice? Context. Deliberate, Con deliberate oh. practice. Deliberate so, practice, so, yeah. Yeah. So it's the same thing also as conscious, conscious practice and awareness. Yeah. Deliberate's another word for conscious and you can't be conscious or deliberate if you don't have a, if you don't have a direction. That's, That's why the future self is crucial. Without a future self, you don't know who you are today. Like if you don't know where you're going, it's like literally the Alice in Wonderland thing. It's like, if you don't have a plan of where you go, then you literally can go any direction you want. Like it does not matter who you are if you don't know who you plan to be. So deliberate practices is amazing. So Bruce Lipton's mentioned in both of the books, Oh, good. Wow. What you just said was just, there are so many profound quotes that I'm going to pull out from there. That's so amazing. You can't, you know, you, you, uh, something about, I'll get them when I go through well, Your show. future identity really clarifies your current self. Without yeah. a future self, you can't you have a current you, self. Yes. You, without that, you don't know who you are even in the present. So that makes so much sense. So last uh, four, like sort of like rapid fire kind of questions, although take as long as you like, if you need to expand on any to share with our audience to help them toward creating their future self. Um, so do you have any daily habits that, you, that work for you that you'd like to share? Yeah. Um, I mean, hopefully really great sleep, um, journaling. I journal every single day, uh, even if it's just 10 or, 10 or so minutes. But to me, journaling really centers me, helps me to kind of contextualize myself. What, what just happened yesterday? Who's my future self? What am I doing? How can I live deliberately today? Like, what do I need to focus on? How do I want to show up today? Mm. Um, you know, so like, yeah. And just creating boundaries, boundaries for myself, boundaries for my work, um, you know, really being clear on like when I want to be home, when I want to be working, just really choosing those things. But, um, you know, exercise, I mean, just really simple things, reading a lot, um, trying to create something every single day. You know, I, I, I don't feel as good when I haven't done any writing or creating or something yeah. like that. So, you know, like for me, it's like, I, I have my goals and like, if I haven't made a few good steps towards those goals, I can tell because I show up pretty incongruent with my family. Like I'm a little less, I'm a little easier, more easy frustrated because I'm more mad at myself, you know, and I'm taking it out of my kids. And so like, I, I really do a lot better when I've been creating and thinking and journaling and it all just kind of blends together. Totally. Same thing. I know uh, people who exercise a lot always say that if they don't get to the gym, then nobody's going to be as happy around them. And it's the same for creators and creativity. Absolutely. 
So um, relative to advice for our audience, so in summary, what's the most important lesson you'd like to leave with our audience for creating the life you want to live? I know we've definitely, covered a lot of it. Yeah, we did. I would say definitely the future should be the predictor of who you are today, not the past. Um, and in order for that to be true, you really need to define out that future self, own it, tell people about it, uh, and begin investing in it. Like I love the idea of investing at the level of your future self, um, mm -hmm. investing money into your goals, investing into relationships, mentorships, but uh, telling people about it is really big. And, and then kind of just, uh, you know, I love the Dan Sullivan concept. He said 80% gets results. A hundred percent is still thinking about it. Um, you know, no, you know, again, there's my, the epilogue or epigraph or whatever of the book personality isn't permanent is that a painting is never finished. It simply ends in interesting places. And, you know, from a creative perspective, from a creative perspective, you know, as an example, like willpower doesn't work. If I was still writing willpower doesn't work, it would be a very different book, but it's a, it's a painting that ended in an interesting place. It certainly was never finished, but it, we had to put a stop on it. Uh, it's like the whole idea done is better than perfect. And like with personalities are permanent. Uh, it's a painting that was never finished, but it stopped in an interesting place. And if I was even still writing it today, which I haven't touched the book for like five months, if I was still writing it today, it would be a different book. I've actually had thoughts of like, gosh, I wish that was in there. Or, gosh, I wish that was out. But it's a painting. And I think with creativity, you can just let stuff go, create a bunch of imperfect paintings and um, let them be a snapshot, just like personality was a snapshot of a space and time, you know, and it's not a finished thing. And so I just, you know, that's the kind of thing I'll leave with you. <laughs> I love that. That is so beautiful. And when it's like us, it's like our personalities. That's one of the things I like about, um, you were talking about getting back into writing new articles and things. What, I'm what so I'm so excited been, about that. What we've been doing a lot of is going back in and editing all the old to clean up. And it is so amazing. Like there's something like me, I may have even written six months ago and I go back in and I think, why did I think that was good? Like, you know, why? and so I go through and edit it and update it. And it's like a new article. That's, I honestly think that that's a beautiful aspect of creativity because then you can see change. I mean, if you've got a big body of work, I actually did that once. I read the book um, Creative Quest. I don't know if you've read that one by, uh, by Questlove. No, and, but I will. And he talked about that. Actually, I learned that. He talked about going back to his old albums and remixing his old work. And so I was like, I did that for a while. I went back to some of my old articles and I read them and I just remixed them. I just rewrote them, uh, changed things, added things, tweaked things. I was like, you just twist them up, you know, because you are a different person than you were even six months ago when you were creating it. That's right. And from just from a technical standpoint, Google actually likes that reportedly. So it makes sense. <laughs> you know, it makes sense. We've gone and we've cleaned house, we've refurbished it and updated it. Um, so uh, links now, of course, we'll link to your website, benjaminhardy.com. Uh, do you have anything in particular uh, that you want us to make sure people go to? Is that your website, benjaminhardy.com? Yeah, benjaminhardy.com. I would just, you know, my biggest hope is personality and permanent. I think that the book does a much better job at explaining things than I can right now. But I think that, I think you will get a lot out of that book and it will really help you with, with whatever you're striving to do. Definitely. And, and it's, um, it's available now as pre-order on Amazon. Mm -hmm. So people can go to that with a link rollover. If we use that link in our show notes. Yeah. We'll yeah just the amazon.com link is totally there. Um, okay. And I will say for anyone who does pre-order it, uh, I do have like, extra courses that are free, you know, personalities and permanent additional courses, but also blogging courses that have taught all my strategies, give those stuff all away for free. If people get the book. Okay. Yeah. You give tons of stuff. Uh, one of the emails recently, you said, oh, maybe a few weeks ago, I read with the family was, uh, it was the concept of friendships by proximity. I don't remember the exact title, but mm -hmm. that was another great one. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. It's, uh, it's fine. I appreciate you reading the emails. It's cool when <laughs> someone like you does. <laughs> thank Very you. Cool. 
<laughs> Thank you. And the last thing um, I would like to close is talking about future self ties mm -hmm. in beautifully. Um, we'd like to invite you to step into your future self vision by sharing your dreams and goals out loud. Thank you. Uh, so appreciate that. So um, I, in the next two or three years, I am going to make a very big pivot in my life. Uh, I'm pretty deep in kind of the entrepreneurial world, which is great. And I love it, but I'm going to stop almost all of that in about two, probably three years. Uh, I will continue to be writing books, popular press books, such as personalized improvement. I'll be writing, continue writing books, but I'm going to be shifting dramatically. Uh, so my life really changed on my mission. And one of the, one of the questions that Dan Sullivan has people ask is who do you want to be a hero to? Like, who is your audience? You know, you want to be a hero to creatives, obviously, at least in this context. And I really want to be a hero to missionaries. Honestly, as weird as that sounds, well, it's not weird, but that's, that's what excites me. And so I actually am going to be, I want my future self is someone who's almost spending all of my time focused on that in more of a leadership. You know, I've got organizational psychology behind me. Now I understand training development leadership. And so like teams, like I want to be more of a leadership perspective because that was such a big thing for me. Uh, and I just want that to be my core focus. I still am going to keep learning and publishing and writing in more of a popular press way, but uh, I'm going to pretty much stop all of the entrepreneurial activity I'm doing. Uh, and so in order to actually create that future self, you know, I, I call it the keystone goal. Uh, but I'm going to, I'm going to have to sell millions of this book. Um, like, you know, so my, my commitment and kind of the path to getting to my future self is selling 10 million copies of this book. No clue how it's going to happen, but I'm going to figure it out. And so yeah, that's my future self. And that's what, what's I'm, that's who I'm striving to become. And that's what I'm really excited for in my next chapter. And that's, that's totally what I'm committed to. Um, and I'm very happy with the current chapter. I'm very happy with the process. It's so developmental from a, from a, from a deliberate practice perspective. It's literally the, the process that transforms you into the product. And so like right now, because I have that goal, my practice is deliberate and I'm becoming that person I want to be. And so I think that that's very important. Yeah. Fantastic. That's amazing. I did not expect that, um, but I love it and look forward to seeing that journey that, that evolve with you. It'll be and a hit. It'll be a, yeah. yeah like, including like what form, you know, what's the context of that vision, you know, so it's like putting you into that future and that's the goal, but I'm sure you're, so, are you perhaps you're still working on what that context will look like and what format it will take, you know, in other words, the what you, you've got the why, then it's mm -hmm. about adding sort of the what and the how to it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I will be, I'll be still writing popular press stuff, but I'm going to make a big shift towards more, more of the spiritual. Um, and I'm going to be, um, yeah, I'm going to be doing stuff that's more directly related to kind of my church is where does that sound like just being involved with that. That's something that really excites me right now. And so as far as the context and what it actually looks like in tangible form, not fully sure what the actual role or what I'll be doing on a day to day is, but like, that's where I'm going to be. That's where I'm going to be spending all my time. I see uh, perhaps something a little bit like um, Jay Shetty, what he's doing. You're familiar with him. I'm familiar, but I don't know what he's up to. Well, it's so he's the, the former monk um, who's oh, yeah, yeah. up yeah. the mountain. And now he's, his mission is to help transform people through, through uh, story and entertainment. And, and he's got a big, very popular podcast. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, so anyway, something to look at. And I've kept you way too long, but I've enjoyed every minute of this. So thank you so much, Benjamin. And uh, it's been a total pleasure. It. It's been such a good conversation. Thank you. You're amazing. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Thanks All for right. a fun interview. Thank you. You too. And we'll talk to you soon. Okay. Bye-bye. See ya. 
Thanks so much for joining us for the I Create Daily podcast. Please let us know what creatives you would like us to interview and what topics you would be interested in hearing more about. And if you enjoyed this show, please leave a review on iTunes. We value your feedback. We read all the reviews and it just helps us get the word out on the I Create Daily podcast. Thank you so much. Thanks so much.